Kelly Nelson, we are here on the last episodes of Touchdown to Turbuckles. What's going on, buddy? Doing great. Yeah, long and winding road is coming to the end right before the Super Bowl. Uh, we yep. did it the whole season pretty much, right? Um, when we mapped this out, we mapped it out a little preseason action, early season, midseason, mm -hmm. playoffs, so on and so forth. But when we got here, we didn't really anticipate either of our teams to be in the Super Bowl. I know I didn't, you did, but here we are. Real quick before we yeah. get into our nonsense, Chiefs Niners, who do you like? Do you even give a fuck? <laughs> I I don't give a fuck. I'm not watching. It'll be the oh, second this matchup <laughs> uh, that, that I missed. The last time uh, my wife and I were in vacation in Europe, and we were in Barcelona the night of the Super Bowl, So, and the hotel we were at didn't even have the uh, – it was on a premium channel, the Super Bowl there. and, and I wouldn't have watched it anyways. I'd, uh, and I think the game started at midnight. So this will be the second straight Chiefs uh, 49ers uh, Super Bowl that I'm skipping. But I am going for the Chiefs because I hate the 49ers, I think, more than any team, even more than the Cowboys these days. And I do not want to see them uh, hoist a Lombardi trophy. So I'm going for the Chiefs. I, I do not want this. You know, I had that big Ravens love fair going on with my end yeah. of things. But, so I'm I'm bitter, but I am I guess I'm going to go with uh, the Niners. Just, I don't know, I just think it's their year. I think it's Mahomes, yeah. Brady-ish, but we're not going to get too deep into the weeds there. Yeah. There's our predictions, Kelly, but we're not here for that, buddy. Let's jump right into the NFL. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Kelly, the first guy we got here is Steve Mongo McMichael. Yeah, so this is the final episode, and we've saved the NFL for last, so these are all guys that uh, had um, at least a cup of coffee with the NFL. This guy right up front, Steve Mongo McMichael, had a long career, 15 years in the NFL. Um, and this is great timing. Just uh, yesterday, I believe, he was elected finally yep. to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And yeah, we'll go it's over tough. some of his numbers. I think it was well-deserved, actually. I wasn't too sure before I started researching for Mongo, but then when I looked at his stats, his career stats, they do hold up against uh, all-time greats, that's for sure. So he was born October 17th, 1957 in Houston, Texas. Uh, football measurements, six foot two, 270 pounds. And he was a defensive tackle, went to the University of Texas in his home state from 1976 to 1979. And he was a consensus All-American in 1979. And from there, he was drafted by your New England Patriots in 1980 in the third round, 73rd overall, 1980 draft. So, you know, third round, not bad, but uh, he had attitude issues and he just didn't mesh with uh, the coach at the time for the Patriots, the organization. They thought he was, you know too concerned with partying, just wasn't going to pan out, not enough focus on the football, and they cut him after just one year. Yeah. It's pretty crazy for Arch. a third-round pick to be cut right away like that. I know. Yeah, just one season and cut, I believe, in training camp for the next season. But uh, And this would be an ironic uh, development later on, as we shall see. So the Patriots cut him, and the Bears scooped him up in 1981 for the regular season 
and pretty much he was off to the races from there with the Bears. This was around the time that Didka took over as coach. They were coming off quite a long period uh, from like the late 60s through the 70s where they didn't do much. Uh, Walter Payton was basically their only bright spot for several years, the great running back. But when Ditka came around and when Mongo joined the team, they were beginning to put together what would be a, one of the most uh, well-known teams of all time. So he played for the Bears from 1981 to 1993, 13 seasons, pretty much the entirety of uh, Ditka's tenure as coach. And he had one last year with the Green Bay Packers in 1994. And there you see um, his greatest moment at the Superdome, at the mm -hmm. Super Bowl. It was Super Bowl 20, I think so, I yeah. believe. Yeah, and it was the Chicago Bears coming on. It was the end of a magical year where they went 15 and one. Um, their one loss was to the Miami Dolphins on Monday Night Football of all teams. You know, the the only other or the only team to go undefeated in 1972. So the Dolphins were able to end the Bears uh, hopes at, at an undefeated record. I believe the Bears were 12 and 0 at that point. Um, but the Dolphins were upset in the AFC playoffs that year by your New England Patriots. And, you know, I won't mention the final score. It's, it's pretty much well. We were up three nothing, though, buddy. Yeah, the, the Patriots took a three nothing lead. And then the rest of the tape for that game is lost. So I'm not sure what yep. happened. But we have this picture, so I guess the Bears won. Uh, Mongo is there on the to the right of Ditka, uh, yep. hoisting him up. And so that was the ironic thing. The team that cut Mongo, the Patriots, uh, eventually got uh, stomped by his new team, the Bears, in the Super Bowl. And yeah, so looking at uh, McMichael's statistics, career statistics, well, first off, he was a two-time All-Pro and a two-time Pro Bowler. And looking at his career stats, I think he had 95 career sacks. So that's up there. Not too shabby. And like I said, yeah, he was there for 13 years with the Bears. That whole time, they were a contender, more or less. Some years more so than others. But it was definitely their best run as a team since like the World War II era, maybe the 19, early 1960s. Um, but yeah, and, and pretty much their best, of, definitely their best run since. So big, big, uh, big team there. And, and Mongo was a big contributor to that whole run. And so getting to the wrestling side of things, there you see him against Reggie White. Uh, that was, I believe, Slamboree 97. Um, I looked for that match. Uh, on YouTube, but it wasn't there because I thought that would have been a cool one to watch. Uh, Reggie, yeah. of course, played many years with my beloved Eagles, but then by then he was with uh, the Packers, of course, and uh, big uh, NFC uh, Central still matchup at that time. So after a few brief appearances with the WWF, he was um, involved with Lawrence Taylor's match with Sam Bigelow at WrestleMania 11 uh, in his corner with a few other players, including Reggie White, I believe, right, um, for that match. And I think he appeared on maybe a Raw um, as well. But by September of 19, that same year, 1995, he was with WCW for the first ever Nitro 
and he was part of the commenta- commentating team for a, quite a few months uh, there. He's, he's, his commentary is not uh, highly regarded. It, it just wasn't his thing uh, at all. He, yeah, it, 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 was, it was like, yeah, he was, he was a punching bag for a lot of the uh, smart fans, but also PWI, you know, he was just anyway, but he was trained to be a wrestler at the power plant and he made his debut with uh, Kevin Green in a tag match, right? Against Flair and who was, yeah, I guess I have, I don't, I know I've never seen that match, but anyway, it was a quick uh, one match as a baby face as he turned on Kevin Green and joined the four horsemen. (laughs) And then he would wrestle from 1996 to 1999 and was, you know, a big part of all those, the peak uh, nitro era. Uh, he was involved in the feud with the NWO, part of the Forestman, of course, a feud with Jeff Jarrett. He held the United States title at one point. He had Queen Deborah by his side. <laughs> and, you know, he became kind of, uh, in, in, you know, later years, a meme with some of his uh, wacky uh, performances in the ring. He was kind of like a bull in a china shop at times. You know, but he was quickly trained and thrust into the spotlight um, very, you know, with with just little training. So you can't hardly blame him. The matches that we're going to talk about later, he actually acquitted himself uh, quite well, I thought, in them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So definitely not the Mongo that you may see on Twitter in GIFs uh, (laughs) with some craziness. I know there's one with a match. It was, I think, a six man with uh, Kevin he's Sullivan on the other he's side. All yeah. He's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That was a wild one. But anyway, yeah, so he didn't have too many years in the ring. He was done before WCW folded, um, but he would have been getting older. And after 15 years in the NFL, yeah, his body probably didn't have much left to give. Um, unfortunately, he's he had uh, ALS for quite a few years now. You know, he's still hanging in there. He did, like I said, he's been elected to the Hall of Fame, so he got that in. So, yeah, we salute you, Mongo. We'll be talking more about you at the end with your matches. Uh, But, yeah, a a great football player and not a bad wrestler. Kelly, what's going on with Leo Namalini? <laughs> Leo the Lion Namalini. Uh, yeah, this guy's interesting. Definitely maybe the most obscure as far as wrestling that we've talked about as far as like a modern uh, fan's viewpoint. There's no, there's only little, little, little tiny bits of footage out there, at least on YouTube. I guess uh, Ron Pritchard, who we talked about last time, we didn't even have a match for him. But uh, as far as a football star and a wrestling star, but especially a football star, Nomalini was, I think, next only to Bronco Nagurski amongst the guys we talked about as far as accolades. Maybe even more accomplished, if um, that's uh, if you can believe it, than Bronco, because I'm going to be listing off a lot of stats, and, and they're pretty impressive. But on the wrestling side of things, he was also a big star at one point, so I don't want to shortchange him in that regard. 
But first off, he was born June 19th, 1924 in Lucca, Italy. And as a football player, he came in at six foot three, 260 pounds. So he was huge for his era. And he was like Mongo, a defensive tackle, like a lot of guys we've talked about over the months, a defensive tackle. And also like Bronco, he went to the University of Minnesota where he was a two-time All-American. So coming out of college, he was highly regarded. And I believe, yes, this is the first time we've had a first round draft choice of all the guys we've talked about. Um, uh, well, otherwise, I think, or maybe, no, Ron Pritchard was first round too. Uh, I forgot about for that. Na- for now, was. Kelly. Yes, right. for now. That's a tease for later. That's a tease for later. Continue, buddy. Okay. Yeah. So Nomalini was drafted in the first round, 11th overall. So that's higher than what Pritchard was drafted in the 1950 NFL draft. He was taken by San Francisco and he played his entire career with the San Francisco 49ers, 1950 to 1963. Love that trading card. Uh, Great. I love those old style trading cards. Yeah. So he had a 14 year career in the NFL and his stats. Now we start to get some impressive numbers. He was a six time all pro. And I believe early in his career, he played both ways. He played um, left tackle on the offensive line when he was young. And I believe he was an all-pro on offense and defense in the same year. So quite impressive. Um, After about four years or so, he just became exclusively a defensive player. He was a 10-time pro bowler. And yeah, so in his time, he was one of the best defensive players, if not the best defensive player in the league. Then um, after his retirement, the accolades kept coming. He's part of the all-1950s NFL team. He was part of the 50th anniversary NFL team. His number 73 is retired by the 49ers. He was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame class of 1969, his first year of eligibility. And yeah, so tons and tons of accolades. An all-time great 49er, all-time great defensive player. And he began wrestling in Minnesota when he was still in college in 1950. So he was in in the wrestling game as soon as he uh, he started uh, pro. Uh, and he lasted actually longer as a wrestler. He, he wrestled a couple of years after he was done as a pro football player. So he wasn't, I mean, of course he wrestled in the off season. When the uh, Niners were playing, he wasn't wrestling, but still um, a a fairly lengthy wrestling career in addition to a football career. And when it comes to wrestling, he has a few like major career highlights and they come against NWA champion Luthez. And there's a, a program from the Cow Palace for one of the big matches in San Francisco. Of course, Nomalini was the hometown hero. And Fez at that time was at the peak of his powers. You know, he'd been on top for quite a while and was, you know, one of the top wrestlers, or definitely of the the top wrestler at the time and at the peak of his of, of his powers, like I said. Um, they had a few big matches. The first one was June 16th, 1953, at the Cow Palace, where they drew a huge crowd. 16,487, one of the larger crowds in Cow Palace history. 
I believe. And it was a big match against NWA champion Lou Fez. And that one ended, I believe, in uh, Fez being victorious. A couple years later, March 22nd, 1955, at the Cow Palace again, this time before uh, 12,253, Nomalini defeated Luthez by disqualification. And this was all part of a plan uh, because afterwards, uh, Nomalini was announced by the uh, ring announcer as the new champion. And, and given the NWA title in the ring. And this was part of a, this was something that a, uh, wrestling promoters did uh, somewhat often back then, where they would have a disputed finish. Then they would have two guys claiming to be the champion. And they'd have one guy wrestle in a bunch of cities as the champ. Another guy wrestle in a bunch of other cities, build as the NWA champion, hopefully boost houses, cause a lot of interest. And then you would have, another match to uh, finally settle things and, and uh, end the, the dispute over who is the champion. So this is what happened. Normalini went around to a few other cities, billed as the NWA champion, but outside of San Francisco, his name didn't mean that much, uh, nowhere near as much as it did in San Francisco. The houses, I don't think, were too great. Um, and they, I think they pulled the plug early on this whole angle. And it ended July 15th, 1955 in St. Louis, which was Luthez's uh, home, his uh, his home arena, home city. And uh, Nomalini lost that match decisively. So that was the end of his claims as the NWA champion. But in the record books, some people do credit him as, a, as an NWA champion. And at that time, that was a very prestigious honor. The title didn't change very often. So that was the peak of his drawing power. Uh, some huge matches in San Francisco. He was also big in Minnesota, where he went to college, and he wrestled quite a bit there, especially in the later years. And during his whole um, wrestling career, he was more often than not involved in tag team matches, and he eventually formed a team with Vern Gagne. We talked about this maybe uh, back in the Vern Gagne episode, where they were tag team champions in the AWA, or maybe even was like the pre and AWA days in uh, Minnesota. So a lot of tag matches, and especially when he got older in the 1960s, he was mostly in tags. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, quite a career. Uh, unbelievable accomplishments in the NFL and uh, some pretty significant accomplishments in wrestling. And uh, Leo died on October 17th, 2000. Kelly, it's time. It's time. It's Vader time, Kelly. Yeah, Vader time. <laughs> and yeah, we're looking at one of the biggest men that we've uh, discussed or will discuss. Huge, oh, yeah. huge man. Born May 14th, 1955 in Linwood, California. Six foot five, 300 pounds as a football player. Huge. And he was a center slash guard but mostly a center, I believe, for the University of Colorado. And his last year there was 1977. I couldn't find uh, his first year. I'm assuming he probably was a four-year guy back then. Uh, most didn't leave early. So 
Yeah, he was pretty good with Colorado. Second team All-American in 1977. Look at him there. So young. Um, baby face. Yeah, barely recognizable. And but and Colorado at the time wasn't uh, a, a great, great uh, team. But they were in, you know, a tough conference back then with Oklahoma and Nebraska. A lot of tough teams. So he acquitted himself quite well. He was somewhat highly regarded coming out of college. The Los Angeles Rams drafted him in the third round, 80th overall. So that was his hometown, basically hometown team taking him in the 1978 draft. But unfortunately for Leon, Leon White, that's his uh, real name, was plagued with knee issues. And he was injured the whole time he was with the Rams. He was there on the team for two years, but he didn't get into a single game, much like Lex Luger with the Packers in the 80s. Uh, just was hurt pretty much the entire time. And it, unfortunate because he, considering his draft position, he could have been, uh, you know, something of a name in the NFL if injuries didn't derail his career. There's an action shot of him with Colorado. There's, of course, no pictures of him with the Rams out there. So he he kind of barely counts as an NFL guy. But at the end, I'll explain why some guys didn't make the cut and why some guys did. Anyway, so Leon eventually got into wrestling, but it was a while. He didn't get into wrestling until 1985. So about six years after he was done playing professional football. But, I mean, he had the size. Obviously, he was perfect for it. So once he got in, he kind of took it, took to it like a duck to water. Um, he started in the AWA. It didn't really do too much there, but he was immediately noticed by uh, like the Japanese, and he he quickly went to Japan and got the gimmick of a lifetime there. That um, I know one story says that the Big Van Vader gimmick was originally envisioned for James Helwig the the future ultimate warrior and he was offered that but turned him down and then vader was the second choice i don't know if that's true or not but anyway it it changed his life as big van vader he was immediately pushed to the top in japan uh defeated Antonio Inoki in an early match that uh solidified him made him a star he had the great helmet that shot steam out of it you know <laughs> yep. i remember uh, the first time I would have saw him was around 1991 when he was in WCW. He'd come back after uh, he had a, yeah, just one run with WCW prior to that, but he was spending most of his time in Japan. He was also big in uh, Germany in Mexico. At one point he held uh, major titles in Japan, Germany and Mexico all at the same time, which was quite the accomplishment. And then he came to WCW kind of during a down period for them and would continue to be a down period for quite a few years. But he shot to the top there and became the world champion in WCW. Had great matches with Cactus Jack that we see here in the picture. Had great matches with Sting. His matches with Sting are, are probably, you know, the, the best matches of his WCW tenure. And they're amongst Sting's best career matches, I would say. So he wrestled um, up, up until 2003 with a lot of ups and downs. You know, he went to WWF eventually, came in with a lot of fanfare, but you seemed to like fall out of favor quickly. And uh, he lost a lot of confidence there, I know. And he had to go back to Japan to uh, 
sort of rejuvenate himself. And uh, he did. He, he had another great run in Japan. And we're going to be talking about one of those matches shortly. And went to, yeah, 2003. And then he had sporadic matches after 2003. Famously in 2016 with Will Ospreay in England. A match yep. came out of the whole, uh, what was it? The dive controversy and the whole uh, gift. Uh, Ricochet and, and Will yep. Ospreay and, and Vader commented on Twitter about how this wasn't real wrestling or something like that. Anyway, that was his last big moment. And he passed away the very next year, 2017. He wasn't that old. Um, no, 2018. Died June 18th, 2018. He was one of the biggest wrestling stars of the 90s, that's for sure. During a down period for WCW, like I said, he was kind of, you know, I wouldn't say he carried the company on his back but he was he was definitely up there and he, he you know he brought a lot of um res, you know respectability to the title he was looked at as legit at, you know i don't know if that still mattered but i know uh, pro wrestling illustrated gave him a lot of respect and and sort of had him above any of the wwf guys um yeah so no vader was was a great wrestler his football career was cut short but yeah um great guy great look and yeah Rest in peace, Leon. Kelly, our last wrestler in this journey, Dick the Bruiser. Tell us all about him. Yeah, I, I debated who to end this on, but really I don't think there's any debate. It has to be Dick the Bruiser. Um, <laughs> He was a great wrestler, actually, as we're going to yeah. get into. Um, and he was, you know, somewhat accomplished football player, but he was a major main eventer in wrestling. So he's the main eventer for our final episode. And how can you not love the guy with, you know, that picture is just awesome with the cigar. <laughs> and so he was born William Athless, June 27th, 1929 in Lafayette, Indiana. Came in at six foot. Uh, exactly six feet and 250 pounds. And yeah, so he was uh, quite an accomplished uh, high school football player, as far as I know, in Indiana. He went to Purdue University, which is located in Indiana, and he played left tackle. I believe that's a pitcher from his uh, high school days. I'm not 100% sure. Pretty sure that's not uh, Purdue. It looks almost like Michigan, but it's not Michigan. Yeah, it's probably um, high school. But it, yeah, probably high school. And so he only had played one year of college ball, 1948 at Purdue University as a freshman. And he was involved in kind of like, uh, if you remember Angelo Mosca back uh, in the CFL episode, involved with gambling, sort of, you know, partying, just, you know, he was a good time boy. And he went around after, I guess he was kicked off of the team at Purdue. And he tried to get in at Notre Dame, I think Miami, uh, Florida, and a few others. And he did get accepted into the University of Nevada in 1950, but he only played on the practice squad. And then I believe the next year, 1951, uh, University of Nevada folded their football team. So there was no, no team for uh, Dick or the future Dick to play for anymore. But, you know, he, he turned enough... Uh, or got the attention of enough people 
to be drafted in 1951. Not very high. <laughs> the 16th <laughs> round, 186th overall. We've we've been here before, Ryan. We've had some guys going, uh, I think, even in the 300s overall. Oh, yeah. You know, um, but he did make the team and he played with the Packers for four seasons, 1951 to 1954. Uh, this was a down period for the Packers, basically in between two like dynasty eras. They had great teams in the 30s and 40s and then would again have great teams in the 60s. But during the 50s, this was a valley for, for the Packers. They didn't make the playoffs. They didn't do very well. Um, I'm not sure how much uh, Dick Aflis, how much he contributed to the the Packers. But like I said, he was on the team for four years, and he quit. Um, he wasn't uh, cut or anything. He, it was his own choice to end playing pro football, so he could have kept going. And the reason he quit pro football was, of course, he got into pro wrestling. And this was in Reno, Nevada, while he was still in college. And he did a few, like, special exhibition matches. And and he was hyped as, you know, a football player and all that. Uh, but the wrestling bug bit him. From there, he was a natural. He had the great a great look, a uh, great body. He would become, like, one of the quintessential, you know, as far as if you close your eyes and think of a wrestler from the fifties and sixties, you know, you'd think of someone like Dick, the bruiser, um, who was, you know, he stocky and with the, you know, the crew cut and the cigars and the rough and tough. He was basically kind of like a proto Steve Austin, stone cold Steve Austin in a lot of ways where he just was an ass kicker, um, drank beer. Of course, uh, he was known as the world's most dangerous wrestler. And he made quite a name for himself um, in various different cities. Uh, Detroit was one of his strongholds at first, uh, Chicago. And then eventually in the 60s, he got into promoting with another uh, football player turned pro wrestler, uh, Wilbur Snyder, in uh, Indianapolis. They bought the territory there around 1964. And that was... Uh, Bruiser's territory for you know the rest of his time as a wrestler. It was a very strong territory at one point, or at least um, a, a strong like mid mid range territory. It was never one of the big territories, of course, but it was connected for a long time with the AWA, Vern Gagne. They had so they shared the same talent, and Bruiser was also a big name in the AWA, where he would be partnered with the Crusher, that man right there. Uh, <laughs> is on the left with the blood bruiser on the right both with cigars they were very very much like almost like brothers uh looked very similar wrestled in a very yeah. similar manner and they were you know at, at first they were a great heel tag team almost like a road warriors for the 1960s uh going out there and kicking ass but then they both turned babyface in the late 60s and through the 70s they were top baby faces in indianapolis and in the awa uh, the Crusher, in particular, is beloved in the AWA as an all-time legend. Um, but Bruiser was, you know, huge, a huge star in his own right. Went to Japan numerous times. We're going to be talking about that coming up. And, yeah, promoted for quite a few years. The 80s weren't kind to uh, Dick the Bruiser, uh, other than in St. Louis. St. Louis was one of his big towns, and that was the... Uh, crown jewel city of the nwa and in 1982 he had one last big match in uh st louis 
that I sold out the Checker Dome, which was almost 20,000 people, for an NWA match with Ric Flair, a uh, championship match with Ric Flair during uh, Flair's uh, first year as NWA champion. But after that, that was sort of the end. Uh, the Indianapolis Territory had a long death, long, slow death. Uh, finally went out of business in 1989, and Bruiser didn't last too much longer. He died in 1991, uh, November 10th, 1991, and he was, uh, it was uh, kind of a sad death where it was like he, you know, he didn't take care of himself health-wise at all. He was still drinking and smoking right up to the very end, and basically his body just gave up on him because he wasn't that old. He was just in his early 60s. Um but as a wrestler, he's a major star and promoter, 1950s through 1970s. Um, he's a name that, you know, it's still kind of out there. Dick the Bruiser kind of still, you know, matters in a, in a way. Uh, memorable name, memorable look. And as far as football accomplishments, four years with the Packers, not bad. Uh, could have kept going. Like I said, he quit. Uh, he wasn't uh, forced out of football. But yeah, that's it, Ryan. That's that's the end. Um, I do have some honorable mentions. I wanted to get some names out of the way because I know there's people that are probably like, well, what about Goldberg? You know, he played for the Falcons. Um, and what about The Rock for the college episode? We never talked about him. And The Rock was at the University of Miami, of course. But, you know, I wanted, first of all, I wanted to talk more about guys that were a little more under-discussed, a bit more obscure. That's why I didn't pick Goldberg or The Rock. Um, and they've been talked about a lot anyway with their football yeah. uh, background. Ric Flair went to the University of Minnesota. Um, I don't know if he was like a major contributor, but he was definitely on the team. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was, uh, God, he had a cup of coffee with the NFL, but I'm not sure who it was with now. Giants, I want to say. Maybe. Um but yeah, it was very brief. Kevin Green, who we're going to talk about shortly. Uh, like I, I just thought this more. I thought of it this morning that we should have did maybe one more episode, and that was yeah. would be about um, football players that had like one big match in wrestling because there was a lot, like Kevin Green, like Reggie White, like Lawrence Taylor, uh, that we could have did a whole episode on them. Uh, but we're going to be talking about Kevin Green shortly. Um, Monty Brown. Uh, who's big at TNA during the early years, uh, played for the Buffalo Bills. And um, let's see, Draws uh, was with the Denver Broncos, I yep. believe. Yeah. I have his rookie card. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, JBL played in the World League of American Football. That's one of, the, one of the leagues we didn't really mention. I don't know if it came up at all. We talked about the WFL, the... Um, oh, I was gonna say one did early, but that I think it was the WFL played in Orlando yeah. or whatever. But yeah, yeah. So we talked about some obscure leagues, but not that. I I know there was a uh, a trading card by Proset of JBL um, for his. I think he played for the San Antonio team. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, Ahmed Johnson played for somebody. Dallas, right? Was it Dallas? I was gonna say Dallas. I was 100 percent. Sure, I'm pretty yeah, sure it's Dallas. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, Brock Lesnar was in uh, training camp with the Minnesota Vikings um, yep. in 2005, I think it was. Um, Five or six. Yeah, and there's there's others. We could have went on with some other names. I also have Brock but... Lesnar's rookie card from the Minnesota Vikings. 
Oh wow, he he actually got a card. That's cool. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. So that's it, Ryan. We went through a lot of names. Uh, this was super fun. Uh, Absolutely. You know, uh, no stone was left unturned here. We went to Canada. We went to West Texas. We went to college. We went back to the 1920s. Uh, and then we went all the way up to Roman Reigns in 2008. Uh, so I think we covered a lot of a lot of ground. I'll just one last time with my references here. Uh, there's a great bio by um, of Dick, Dick the Bruiser by Richard Vicek. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. V i c e k or e k um, from Crowbar Press. Um, I recommend that. It's a great biography of Dick the Bruiser. Uh, Heroes and Icons and the Heels from ECW Press. Used those numerous times. And College and Pro Football Reference, of course, used those numerous times. And Wikipedia. Uh, you just kind of have to because a lot of the stuff is pretty obscure. So that's it. Now we got our team to finish here. All right, Kelly. Now you said we could do a whole nother episode, but we'll get to that on my part here. Let's kind of place the guys that we just talked about. Big Van Vader, let's start with him. He's listed as a guard and a center. Dusty Rose is our guard right now. Do we prefer Vader or Dusty? That's tough. I mean, I think Vader was probably a better player, yeah. but I love Dusty Rhodes. I, I hate to have then to. We can kind of go to the guards real quick. Do we like, I think Buckets Goldberg Goldenberg would probably be one of our starters. Would Goldberg yes. be a dip, another starter over Wayne Munn? Or Fitz, Fritz Von Eric. I think Fritz can definitely be, yeah, bumped. All right, so Fritz is third his, or last. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, I don't think his accomplishments in football were too, too special, as far as I know. Do you prefer Vader as a starter or kind of a backup guy? So our starting, we're gonna go guard. Um, I think we got to have Mun and. Goldenberg as the starter. All yeah, because right. so Mun was the first guy. And so Vader would be, yeah, number three. All right. Do you want to move him as our backup center or do you want to start or him maybe over as Dusty? Yeah, may, yeah, maybe backup center since we, we don't have one of those, right? Yeah. No, we that don't. That makes more sense. All right. So that's easy. We'll, we'll, we'll let Dusty and, and Vader kind of work its way out. But right <laughs> now we're going to give the nod to Dusty. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to have a bull rope match to decide the win. <laughs> Perfect. All right. All right, so let's go to the offensive tackles here. Right now, in order, we have Lex Luger starting. We have Blackjack Mulligan. We were unsure. And then we have where Blackjack played. But looking at his size, we put him at offensive tackle. And then we had Bill Watts, who could also moonlight as a guard. Um, Dick mm -hmm. the Bruiser should definitely be a starter. Is he a starter with Lex Luger? Or is Blackjack Mulligan in Dick the Bruiser? What do you think? Well, why don't we go with the two Packers, you know, so Bruiser for sure. And then Lex Luger, uh, like you said, Mulligan, we're not even sure what position he played. And he didn't, he only played in exhibition games um, and Watts. Yeah. I wouldn't put Watts ahead of either of those guys. Luger, you know, he was with the CFL, USFL, the NFL. That's got to count for something. Um, so yeah, I like that. I like the, the two Packers. All right, let's jump on the defensive side of the ball before we get to our, my guys. Let's start with Leo. Leo is probably up there with Ernie Ladd and Ron Simmons, I would say, pro, as a defensive yeah. tackle. What do you think? I think it's got to be him and, and Big Cat, 
Ernie Ladd won too. The tiebreaker right. for Simmons. I mean, yes, he had a great college career, but his pro career was uh, was not much. Um, and as pros, Ladd and and Nomalini were were great. Those are our defensive tackles right there. And then we want to go. Ooh, Mongo. <laughs> oh yeah. Should, ooh, we got That's Mongo tough. too. This is uh this is tough. All right, Roman Reigns, you are last string buddy. Back to the Eskimos, Angelo. You better stay in Foxborough or or Watertown, wherever you're from. Pillman. Ooh, sorry, buddy. You're you're down the list too. Perhaps you might want to move the linebacker if you want to get on the field. Simmons or McMichaels? That's a tough one. What do you think? I know. Well, I think you got to put. McMichael ahead of uh, of Simmons. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer now, and yeah. he had the accomplishment. And it's tough. Like Nomalini has to be one for sure. Okay. He's an all time great. Now you de- now the dis- debate is Ernie Ladd or Steve McMichael. I don't. That's a coin flip. Should we do Nomalini and and McMichael? I mean, There's I like Ladd more as a wrestler, that's for sure. It's like, could any of these guys go to the defensive end position <laughs> to get our best six on the court? Because we're, we're going to yeah. play a six right, just because that's our strength. And because yeah. all these guys are old. Yeah, I could so see Ernie being being uh, edge, maybe, on the end. Because our ends, we got, we got Dory yeah, Funk. Yeah, that's not good. Gene Konitsky, like, it's, it's superstar. <laughs> yeah, like superstar barely played. Kaniski was good, but not great. Dory Funk just played college. I mean, yeah, let's put Ernie there. I mean, I'm almost tempted to put Ernie and, and Ron on on the ends. I was that thinking, defensive end death chart is is pretty. Well, neat. we could have three. Well, here's the thing: we can go, we can go five down. Ron can play nose because that's what he truly played. And then our D tackles can be Nomalini and McMichaels, and we're good. We can get Moscow in there on rotation. We can probably move Reigns to defensive end. Probably he'll get in. The, he'll be on the field quicker. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Because I think Reigns was more of a DN in Georgia Tech anyways. All right. And you said Dory Funk barely played? Well, he played college, but that was it. Like he... All right, you want to start Dory Funk over Roman? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. How about Kanitsky or Roman? I gotta go with Gene, like my my Canadian boy. All right, we'll put we'll Roman. put Roman over Billy, <laughs> over Superstar. <laughs> yeah, Superstar is definitely like he didn't play college ball; he just played a little bit in the CFL. So yeah, that's fair. Cool. And then all right, so let's wrap up what we got here. Tully's our quarterback. Our special teams: Wahoo McDaniel's is our punter. Stu Hart is our kicker. And then that left off a a blaring hole. At wide receiver, but first let me describe the offense for you. So you got our we got our center, our two guards, and our tackle. That's five down. We're gonna go double tight, or we're gonna go pro formations, which is a tight end and a split receiver. So that would be our wide receiver. Tito Santana is our every down tight end. If we want to put Paul Orndorff in for a double tight, we will do that. Paul Orndorff can also play a little fullback, but we like him at tight end. So that means when we go split receiver here, when we want to create more gaps or or stretch the field, we need a wide receiver. And I went to NXT, and I went down to South Carolina, and I got Trick Williams. He is the hot. He is a hot rising superstar on NXT, and I thought he would be perfect. He is six foot five. Have you ever heard of Trick oh, Williams? I've I've heard of him, but I I have never seen him. 
He has a great look. He is very charismatic. I think he's a future WrestleMania main eventer, but he is six wow. foot five. He is a wide receiver. His first college football school was Hampton with the Hampton Pirates in Hampton, Virginia. And that's an FCS school, which is like D1, but like lower class D1 FCS. <laughs> he transferred to South Carolina. Quick story. He pretty much walked onto South Carolina in the spring one year and said, I want to play for y'all. Uh, what do I got to do? <laughs> and they were like, uh, this is before NILs. This is before the transfer yeah. portal. This is before all that stuff. So he's a very confident, very charismatic kind of guy. Worked himself into uh, getting onto the field. And he ended up having a invite to a rookie mini camp for some little NFL team called the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, okay. Wow. Yep. So that is Trick Williams' origin story in a abbreviated version mm. kind of right there. So walk on on South Carolina, have a pretty good FCS career <laughs> at Hampton, and then have a and get a shot at a rookie tryout. Philadelphia Eagles, I think you can make our team at wide receiver. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. All right. So let me Eagles. describe the rest of our offense. We're going with a power eye offense. And with a power eye offense, that means you need three running backs. It's more of a, you can do like a Delaware wing T. You can do a, a power, like a fullback, a running back, and then a split back on either side. You could put one at the wing, but it's pretty much a three running back system with Bronco Nagurski leading the way at, at tailback. We have Gus Suttingberg kind of as our wing back sli slider. And then I went back to NXT and I got a Steiner brother. I got Braun Breaker to mm, be our full nice. to be our fullback. Uh, Braun Breaker. Uh, you should see some of his tape from Kennesaw State, uh, Georgia. It's just unbelievable. Kennesaw State Owls is an FCF school in Kennesaw, Georgia. He was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Baltimore Ravens, and he hung around all the way up leading until the final cut of the 2020 season. So uh, he almost made the team. Kennesaw State was a brand new school, and they actually ran wing T, which is very unconditional at that level. Uh, and yeah. and his tape is just unbelievable. He's a game breaker. Some of the blocks that he had, he had four four speed. I think as a you know in this offense he would flourish, and he has some decent size. He's yeah. a little short, but he's stocky. He's a gas kicker. I don't know if I don't know if you've seen any of his stuff, Kelly, but uh, he's pretty impressive. Yeah, just just little clips here and there. I, I liked uh, when he first came in, he was, or I don't know if it was in the WWE or somewhere else where he was Rex Steiner. Um, yes. Yeah, I thought he should have stuck with that name. That would have been, I mean, he didn't have a choice, uh, but I really loved that name. Uh, yeah, great. Uh, of course, he's uh, Rick's son, right? Yeah, so. his. well, he kind of took it. So his first name's Bronson, right? Mm. So Bronson, so kind of took the brawn from yeah. that, but yeah, Rex right. Steiner is a beautiful name. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I kind of get it, you know, it's kind of with the like they took away Pillman's kid's name, mm -hmm. uh, they mm -hmm. gave him a different name, they gave him a different yeah, origin yeah. story, but they kind of yeah. lean on Pillman's heritage a little bit. They lean on Breaker's Steiner, Steiner's mm -hmm. heritage a lot, mm -hmm. but I kind of get not going with the Steiner name. I kind of like Breaker. I like the two Ks. Uh, it's a little. It was a little wonky at first, but it's just like any name. It yeah. kind of grows on you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so we're gonna go to a personal favorite of mine here at outside linebacker, and that is my boy Madcap Moss. Oh, yeah. uh, Madcap Moss was unfortunately released. He is an athletic freak. 
As you can see, some of his bursts, you can see why he would play outside linebacker for us. A four-year starter for Minnesota Golden Golfers. Uh, Big Ten, oh, cool. all Big Ten, led the team with tackles a few year, uh, one year. Did Had a really good, strong college career in the mid-aughts. And then he had a tryout with the Miami Dolphins as a rookie free agent. And it just didn't work out. Uh, the WWE ended up grabbing him soon after that. He was in their developmental system forever. He was a combine mm -hmm. warrior. Uh, I guess down at NXT, they would run combines similar to the NFL combines. And he just obliterated oh, yeah. all the records from agility, bursts, speed, uh, quickness, jump, you know, four cones, speeding, uh, power lifting, all that stuff. He kind of wiped the mat clean with it. He had some natural charisma, but he really struggled trying to find his lane as a character. Uh, he's overall pretty average, but it, it kind of became a, a joke in the circles that he was my boy because I was like, there's something about this guy I always liked. Uh, I think he's all right. Um, I think he ultimately was a, just just kind of a tag guy. Uh, he, he, he had yeah. some charisma at times, but he overall lacked it. I'm over here gushing about him, but I'm also kind of burying him too. <laughs> he is. Oh, I know. I, there's some other people I know online that are into him too. I remember him from NXT. He was in a tag team with uh wasn't he a football player too or am i wrong well <laughs> it's funny that you say that the last yeah, guy no, from, okay, NX, from nxt yeah. here <laughs> is madcap moss's old tag team here partner tino sabatelli right. uh tino sabatelli was drafted from oregon state he's a defensive back mostly a safety but i'll describe our defense in a second uh he was a part of the pack pack 10 and he made a bunch of all Pac-10 defensive positions and whatnot. Drafted by the Tampa Bay Bucks in 2007. Second round, 64th pick overall. He also played for the Browns and then later in the Chiefs. Uh, mm -hmm. This guy had a great look, uh, but not much of a wrestler. I think he's best yeah. known for lynching up and snagging up Mandy Rose. So by pulling that accomplishment oh. in life, I think he should easily make the team. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and plus sure. NFL for for seven or eight years, and then you know second round yeah. overall, pick, second round pick, and uh, not too shabby for a white safety. So overall, I think he's he's in. Cool, good. But choice. we needed one more defensive back, and that was an easy one for me. This is the one I thought of all along, and it is Adam Pacman Jones. Yes. Why yeah. is he related to wrestling? Because he was suspended from the NFL due to a gun charge, mm -hmm. and. Uh, he was a mess for a while, but he is a former TNA champion. In 2007, he, him and Ron Killings, right. Team Pac-Man, won the tag team yes. champions. Now, Kelly, I don't know if you know TNA history, but let's quiz you real quick. Which two yep. decent wrestlers did, did Pac-Man and Ron Killings defeat to win the TNA championships? TNA uh, was it America's Most Wanted? Nope. I'll give you one more uh, swing at it. Who else? The money are uh, Motor City Machine Guns. It was Sting and Kurt Angle. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't have guessed that in a million years. No, <laughs> no, no not I at was all. watching mostly most weeks at that time because it was on Spike TV, so it was easy to just flip yeah. on and have in the background. But yeah, I don't remember Sting and Kurt Angle as tag champs. Yeah, I believe they won the belts at No Surrender 2017. So um, 
he ended up being in the NFL all the way up to 2016, 17. So he okay. had some trouble in the middle, but overall, first round, sixth pick overall. More of known for football, more more known for off the field mm-hmm. chaos. But it, he was a great punt returner. He was a great cornerback. Yeah, and he was a yeah. so-so TNA tag team champion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just I remember about... him throwing the ball and, and hitting somebody in the nuts with it. In a match. <laughs> but <laughs> since our offense is pretty pretty wing t, uh, pretty power power based, you know, we got the big guys up front. We want to run the ball. Have two tight ends. A lot of running backs really gash people hit the gashes so we're gonna have a stout defensive line and stout defensive ends we're gonna have some good good linebackers we'll probably run a five four or a six three and we're only gonna have two cornerbacks so we're just gonna bracket the quarterbacks go free and go cover too too high and just let nothing by us and just throw guys in the box and get in the alleys with these safeties so we're a little thin at in the defensive back but i think we're gonna make up for it with the guys up front so kelly that's our yeah. that's our team right there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, not too bad, you know. Tully, it's gonna be a run heavy offense, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. But I, I I'm a big fan of of run heavy heavy offenses. That's you know what I first loved about football was running backs. Um, so yeah, that's fine. Defense, we got some got some studs on defense, Hall of Famers. Oh, yeah, yeah I think strength. we'll do all right. Yeah, we got Trick. We're going to take one or two shots a game with Trick downfield with Tully. We'll see with that rag arm get it downfield. All right, Kelly, let's take a quick look at our recommendations. Yeah, Kelly, before we get to the recommendations, I kind of stole your gimmick with the with the NXT guys over there. And just to fill our roster, I thought you would appreciate the four wrestlers from NXT. Give them a quick, quick rundown on their history and present them to you as you you lovingly did to me in the audience all year. So I wanted to give yeah. you an homage to that. <laughs> no, great. I mean, you're the football coach. You know, you know it a lot better than I do. Let's start with Steve Mongo McMichaels. Kelly, you were gracious enough to give us Steve McMichaels versus Greg the Hammer Valentine in a singles match on October 18th, 1997 on WCW Worldwide in Orlando, Florida. Five minutes, 14 seconds. And I went two and a quarter stars, but I thought it was an excellently wrestled match i thought this was uh valentine at the latter years of his ends we mm-hmm. we have a few valentine matches from earlier on that we had and that but that was in the mm-hmm. mid 80s and this is the late 90s so he was a little long in the tooth but i thought that valentine's strength of his striking and his mat based stuff worked really well with a still very green mongo mcmichaels and mcmichaels did well with valentine's formula in this five minutes here yeah yeah well i picked this you know, entirely because it was a Valentine match. Valentine's one yeah. of my favorites. Like I, I put in Steve McMichael versus in the search uh, bar on YouTube. And this came up, you know, it was about five or six matches down. I, I'd never seen it before. And I thought, what the hell? Why not? And yeah. yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, Hammer, he was getting definitely older. Like you look at him and he's like, wow, he aged pretty quickly between like oh, yeah. 1992 and 1997 and but he kept wrestling until god yeah i think he's still wrestling um Good but yeah i mean he was super solid in the ring his entire career and a perfect guy to put with a green guy like mongo and yeah they had not a bad match if this was like a real you know pay-per-view match that was given more time and if there was maybe some juice 
behind it with like an angle or a feud going on. I think these two guys could have had uh, a pretty good match uh, and and done some uh, good stuff. But as it was, yeah, it was, it was a nice short little match, meat and potatoes match, as uh, yep. my old buddy Pete Schermacher uh, calls it. And I went two and a half stars. Yeah, uh, you, you know I couldn't go any higher. But it was it was a it was a perfectly fine uh, Saturday afternoon or whenever it was Sunday afternoon. C uh, show TV match from the late 90s. Chad Campbell gave us Steve McMichaels versus Kevin Green in a singles match on June 15th, 1997 from the Great American Bash in Moline, Illinois. Nine minutes and 21 seconds. Oof, this was a <laughs> this was like a celebrity match, but like a little amped up. This was a lot of fun. I thought Green, Green was a little more equipped and Mongo in ring at the time. I love how they in instruct uh kind of built in Greens's football strengths into his wrestling style. You know, shoulder tackle takedowns, uh nice strong stiff punches look really awesome. I thought he bumped well. I love the component of his mother being his mother was never that close in the gridiron, but she was she was nice and ringside watching him wrestle. So, it was good for his mother <laughs> to have a front row seat there. They kept kind of playing into that. And of course, yeah. Deborah on the apron at the end kind of led to a eh, a weird eh, Jeff Jarrett kind of angle, but that's not about the match. But overall, I thought the work rate looked pretty good for two green guys. I thought whoever structured the match, they worked up to their potential and they kind of surpassed what you would think. And I went three and a quarter stars. I thought this was pretty good. Yeah, I did. I liked it too. I went three stars. I don't think I'd seen this before. Um, I think it was the month before that green was in a tag match with uh, Flair and Piper against the Wolfpack. And that's an excellent match. And of yeah. course, it's a six-man, so he was protected, but thrown, thrown into something like that. He didn't have too much experience in the ring, but you wouldn't have known. Like, if you just put this on with uh, like a non-wrestling fan and said, yeah, this guy was a wrestler for 10 years, I don't think they would have uh, thought that, oh, he doesn't seem like he's a experienced wrestler or whatever because he acquitted himself quite well he looked at times i thought it, he looked like uh like hulk hogan's younger brother <laughs> or something with the look sort of had a similar uh like the mustache and and all that um yeah he bumped well this was it during the late 90s when of course all the heels got cheered and the baby faces got booed so the crowd was totally you know boo uh booing kept green and cheering for Mongo, even though they were playing uh, babyface and heel the roles. Um, but yeah, no, this was a good, very good match. Like I said, I was trying to find the the Mongo uh, Reggie White match, which I believe was from the previous month at Slamboree. Uh, so they were yeah. doing a lot of uh, NFL player matches in WCW at this time. But, and it was yeah, working. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this was, yeah, when they were still uh, ahead of WWF and the ratings and all that. Um, I don't know if Green wrestled much after this or not, but he perhaps sporadically he later in WCW. But I'm not, I'm not ultimately sure. Yeah, no, I don't recall. He could have made this his full time. Yeah, I thought he looked excellent for what it was. I thought he looked really good. Oh yeah, yeah, he was way better than Mongo. Like no disrespect to to Mongo, but yeah. Green was clearly the one who looked like a a pro wrestler, um, a smooth pro wrestler. Um, with there was no you know moments where like oh that was messy or ugly or anything this that was, it was a perfectly fine match. Some would say Mong uh, Kevin Green was a young Mad Cat Moss at the time. But, uh, <laughs> okay, 
<laughs> You'll take my word for it. I'll let you right, say uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the second second wrestler here we have is Vader. You met, you recommended Vader versus Ron Sim Simmons in a singles match for the WCW Championship August 4th, 1992. WCW main event in Baltimore, Maryland. Nine minutes, 47 seconds. I thought this was absolutely excellent, Kerry, Kelly. I went three in three-quarter stars. I just thought it was excellent. What a moment. I thought both men's strikes early looked fantastic. It felt like a big mm. fight. The vibe was a big fight feel. I love that the crowd was going absolutely bonkers for Simmons. They wanted Simmons. And I just felt that the crowd yearned for Simmons. I thought the presentation was great. I thought the, both guys lived up to it. The power move was fantastic. Vader sold his ass off. Simmons sold sympathetically, building to the finish. And the, just the power slam was absolutely beautiful and epic. Like I said, three and three quarter stars, Kelly. I thought this was great. Yeah, yeah, this is a cool match. I went three and a half. Um, yeah, it's short. It was it was on just the it was the main event, I believe, the TV show yeah. that they showed on. I was it was kind of strange. It came out of nowhere. Vader had just beaten Sting a few weeks earlier at the Great American Bash for the title, but uh, Bill Watts had taken over as the Booker at this point, and he wanted to do something. You know, he was always uh, when he was uh, in uh, Mid South in UWF, he loved surprises. So he and he loved he wanted to have another big black star a la um, uh, JYD, Junkyard Dog in Mid-South. So that was kind of the reasoning behind this whole thing. Big surprise, black star on top. And yeah, uh, but it was a short match, but it was, yeah, it was well worked. Vader was great. Simmons was, uh, you know, at this point, this was probably the peak of his uh, wrestling career. And I picked this mostly because, you know, it had Simmons in it. So that is a yeah. callback to an old episode, the college episode. So it's great. And now the theme, like we've had now two matches where it's all football players involved in it. Um, the crowd reaction at the end is is legendary. You have the one fan you can see run down yeah. oh, and, and start yeah, jumping awesome. up and down right in front. Um, just great stuff. And then all the baby faces coming out for the celebration and putting this, the belt around his waist. Uh, great stuff. And Vader was great in this. Uh, um, you know, he was the great monster. It, it seemed impossible that Simmons could beat him, you know, and then he just got that snap surprise power slam out of nowhere for a quick three count. You know, a great way to book the finish because it made Vader uh, still seem strong. It wasn't yeah. like a definitive defeat or anything. And uh, unfortunately, Simmons run as champ uh, was pretty underwhelming. Uh, they didn't do him any favors. Funny, like Watts, you know, handpicked him to be the champion and then fed him uh, Barbarian and Cactus Jack and uh, guys that weren't very high on the pecking order at the time and yeah. and, and weren't even in main events. And, and But anyway, I won't get into that. But yeah, yeah, this was a cool match. I don't think I'd ever seen this in full before. I think I'd only seen the finish before. So it was cool to see it all for the first time. Yes, and Vader's last match here is again from Chad Campbell, Super Vader that is versus Kayushi Tamura. Did I say that right? We'll say that in right. a Tamura in a in a tournament match, singles match. I don't know what the I don't know what the pure description was it, but it was pretty. It was pretty I good. Believe a uh, tournament. Two, I think it was this. I want to say the semifinals. It was the semifinals. I just don't know the structure of yeah. the match because, like, he was just yeah, kind of right. like knocked out. You know what I mean? But we'll get to that. In yeah, the end. yeah, on June yeah. 10th, 
June 10th, 1994, for UWF Toyoko, Toyoki, Tokyo, Japan. Seven minutes, 41 seconds. It was an absolute great presentation. Uh, I'm really glad Chad recommended it. It was my first time ever seeing this. I thought it was really, really good, really, really strong. Both guys were urgent. It was stiff. And for seven minutes and 41 seconds, I went three and three-quarter stars, and I'm not ashamed of it. I thought it was excellent. Yeah, yeah, it was a notch above um, the, all the matches we watched uh, for this go-around, I think. I went four stars on yeah. it just because of the, you know, the grittiness to it. Um, everything mattered, like every move mattered. Yeah. It was basically, you know, and it was pure simplicity, too. It was basically kicks from uh, Tamura versus punches from Vader. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know, yeah, Tamura's went to there. Yeah, the fight, fighting spirit. This is the UWF, UWFI, or whatever you want to call it, which was a spin-off promotion that was uh, shoot style. It was, yeah. you know, taking Japanese, you know, strong style or whatever you want to call it, the Inoki style, to its like full, like logical conclusion. Well, I guess even further was when they did Pride and and then real fights. But this was like the next closest thing. Um, where it felt more like a real fight than any wrestling match um, at the time. And yeah, I, I'm not, I'm, I've hardly seen any of these kind of matches over yeah. the years. I should, I've always wanted to watch more because I, when I do watch them, I end up really liking them because like yeah, I, I said, there's that being something we would get into. <laughs> yeah. There's something to be I like said the about the them. simplicity. Yeah. I like the, I like the burst of it. I like the urgency. I like everything yeah, matters. Like yeah. you said. And they just yeah. kind of plowed through it, really. I I, I dug yeah. it. I would check it out for sure. It's only seven minutes and 41 seconds. It's excellent. And I love the presentation before the match, too. It made yeah. the semifinals feel so important. Made mm-hmm. Kyoshi feel important. Vader felt fucking like the man. And it just, it was really mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the promotion at this time was on fire, too. They were doing really, really big houses. And... Yeah, I, I think the rules were that I don't think there was pins at all. Like it was just yeah, it was, um, the, I, the finish was a little weird. It was like kind of knocked out, but he got up right away. I don't know. What, what yeah, are, what <laughs> like there wasn't a yeah, it wasn't like a ten count after the power yeah. bomb. Um, it was like a two count. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I like I said, I don't know. Like I'm not too familiar with this. Uh, Chad would be able to explain everything, of course. Tamura, I know, is one of his favorite wrestlers. He's uh, talked him up. Uh, quite highly over the years on PWO and other places. So yeah, it was cool to see this. Um, yeah, perfect type of match for Vader with his, uh, you know, more legit feel like we talked about earlier. Um, yeah, like I thought for sure he was going to lose. Like he was getting his ass kicked with all those mm-hmm. kicks early on. It looked like he was it was going to be a bloodbath, like without blood, but like a one-sided ass kicking. But he came back with the the, the punches and then, yeah, like a massive power bomb to end things via knockout. Yeah, so yeah, cool match and and a cool display of uh, Vader uh, and his strengths as a pro wrestler. I think. Yep, and we actually have the same match, but on different decades for the for uh, Dick the Bruiser. It's the first one is Dick the Bruiser yes. versus Giant Baba, both being two out of three falls. The first one, NWA International Championship on February 28th, 1968 for JWA in Tokyo, Japan. 14 minutes and 41 seconds. And the second one, again, Giant Baba, two out of three falls. P. 
WF Heavyweight Championship, April 10th, 1975. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that for all Japan. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that to myself and tell you the, Japan, the Japanese town and city. But anyway, 17 <laughs> minutes, 28 seconds. And that one was recommended by Sean Kidd. Um, they were both very similar. The one from the 68, I went three and a half stars. And the one from 75, I just felt was a little more cleaner. I thought the presentation was a little more sharper. You know, it's 10 years later almost. And I liked the theatrics around it a little more. But kind of the same style and the same pace and really the same match, but a little more violent and a little more urgent on the uh, 1975 one. And I went three and three quarters. Um, I thought they were similar. I thought they were close. But the presentation was just super strong. Uh, you know, the first first fall slow, and then you get the disqualification, the count out, or the, you know, another disqualification, and you, then you kind of get a sudden pin or a roll-up for the for the win. Uh, but I just, like I said, I thought 75 was more theatric, and it was a bloody brawl, and I thought it was just awesome, Kelly. Yeah, yeah, I pretty much agree um, exactly with your assessment. I saw the 75 match, but three and a half years ago with uh, Steve Willie, actually, we had a show called International House of Combat briefly, and this was one of the matches we watched. I just picked it out of thin air without knowing its reputation, and we were both very uh, pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, it, it's it's really good. Baba is a bloody mess at the end, uh, but gets a decisive victory. I went four stars on the 75 match, yeah, it, it's definitely like my style, my my favorite kind of I wrestling. I you. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> yeah. And the 68 match was good, too. Um, yeah. There's probably a, I don't know how much time clipped at the beginning because we're joined in yeah. progress. Yeah, might it, have heard it, too. First, no, I think it was just the opening, uh, you know, the usual sort of uh, exchange of holds, feeling out process in the first fall. Um so yeah, it went three falls and it, it was uh, interesting. What did we have? Oh, I love how a bruiser targeted Baba's knee in the 68 yeah. match to the point where Baba submitted uh, to end the first fall on a, on a half crab. And it looked like he wasn't even going to be able to continue. Had to get his knee retaped. Second fall, uh, bruiser is countered out of the ring and uh, suffers a pretty nasty gash on his eye. And it's bleeding for the rest of the match, and and then we had you know in between falls, Bruiser hits uh, Baba with a chair, which was cool because it didn't count as a disqualification because the third fall hadn't started yet, so <laughs> yeah. he was able to get away with a chair shot on on Baba, then you because he was outside the ring with the chair, and then uh, we get the third fall, and yeah, Baba rallies and and gets gets the pin. Um, we've watched a lot of Giant Baba matches. Uh, over the course of the last few months. And I, I haven't mentioned the fact that he wasn't a football player, of course, but he was a professional baseball player before he got into uh, wrestling in Japan. He was a pitcher. And I oh, think wow. he was uh, pretty pretty good. Uh, so similar as far as going from one uh, profession to the next. Um, and um, he, he, Baba... I haven't uh, gone wrong with Baba in the last decade. Every no, time haven't. I put on a Baba match, um, I, especially the ones from the '60s and '70s when he was the top guy in like a you know basically like a Bruno Sammartino taking on all the monsters month after month. Uh, it's it's I'm always uh, uh, 
you know, I always enjoy Baba matches. So everyone should uh, check out if you see a Baba match against an American star from the uh, 60s and 70s, uh, take some time out of your day and, and watch that. You'll you'll enjoy it. But Bruiser, yeah, I mean, Bruiser was really good. They had good chemistry together, obviously. I'm sure they wrestled tons of times over the years. Um, but yeah, the 75 one was, was yeah, a bit better, more of a gritty, like the, uh, I guess the same year it was uh, Baba and Fritz von Erich that we reviewed, where that was a good bloody brawl. So 75, Baba was just pumping out the, the great bloody brawls. Yeah, July uh, 75. Okay. So yeah, very close. A couple months uh, later for that yep. one. So yeah, yeah, great. Um, I'm glad that match came up because I, I didn't recommend it myself because I'd seen it before and I wanted to check out this earlier one from the 60s that I hadn't seen. So I'm glad the 75 one came up too because it was my, it would have been my, uh, it, it's my pick as like my favorite Dick the Bruiser match. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's great. Great stuff. Kelly, that's it, buddy. I, uh, yeah. I had a blast these last seven episodes. We uh, mm -hmm. we did our due diligence with our match recommendations. We did our due diligence yeah. building building our offense and our defense, and we mm -hmm. uh, we suffered through our NFL seasons. Mine was over very soon, <laughs> and then yours was strung along. You had hopes, and you got kicked right in the dick at the very end. And it or it was more like a paper cut, where it was a slow, painful death. Yeah, but either way, death from a thousand cuts or whatever. <laughs> but either way, that's the twenty twenty three. NFL season, Kelly, and uh, yeah. I'm glad I spent it with you doing this touch, doing touchdowns and turnbuckles, learning a lot about the NFL and history with uh, through mm -hmm. the wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, it was a blast. It was something I was always interested in, in doing a deep dive on uh, because of my love for football and my love for wrestling, and I wanted to explore uh, the football careers more, and this gave me the perfect opportunity. And yeah, it was great. And then doing the matches too. Um, saw a lot of matches that I hadn't seen before that I knew were supposed to be good. So it was a good excuse to watch those. And yep. yeah, yeah, I know the Eagles. I knew coming into the season that to top what they had done the year before was highly unlikely. If you looked at the history, it just doesn't happen very often. But yes, it was a, a painful end to the season, but hopefully it'll be quickly forgotten once we start i just uh see now tonight that jalen carter got robbed of the defensive rookie of the year award it went to will anderson for the houston texans god damn it because they had that hot finish and the eagles yeah. went in the toilet pretty much that's it because i think if you look at the numbers uh carter was uh superior to will anderson but whatever that just is the cherry on top of the shit end to the season for the Eagles. They haven't had an individual award winner since I believe Reggie White, uh, not counting Andy Reid winning coach of the year, but as far as players go, they haven't had an individual award winner since Reggie White won defensive player of the year in 1987. So that streak unfortunately continues. They've had so many near misses with uh, MVP with their quarterbacks over the years, but can never get it. Anyway, and the Patriots, well, it's a brave Third new pick. world here. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Marvin Harrison, if he's there, you got to take him. There may be, I, I guess a trade up possibility, maybe with the bears. There we go. We'll have a, we'll <laughs> that, we'll that connection see, will be rekindled. <laughs> we'll see, buddy. We'll see. About I don't that. know. I don't know what the, I, what the Intel is in, in uh, Boston or whatever. 
it's tight. Yeah. It's tight to the vest. It's tight to the vest. We're not yeah. letting it out of the bag yet. But I think it's either receiver, yeah. or I think it's receiver with Marvin, or I think it's one of the top three quarterbacks. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, like I said, brave new world, new era, dawning for the Eagles. This is uh, going to be Sirianni's make or break year. We'll yep. see. Uh, and then maybe we'll take uh, Belichick uh, for 2025. How about that? Hey, I, <laughs> no problem. No problem. Have him. I, would I, know, I don't know. I think, have little, I'd love I for you to have some of the success I had the last 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I uh, We'll see. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get back together for something. Well, well, maybe absolutely. I'll pick something up, a, a reason to uh, get back together so we can talk football, if nothing else. If nothing else. But Kelly, this was a blast. And I want to thank you from the North-South Connection for doing this. And uh, like you said, we'll see you sooner rather than later. Yeah. See See you guys. Thank you, Kelly.